Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us here at Midweek. Thanks for letting us be part of your day, and we hope it will be a very good day for you. Coming up today, we're going to talk with Nick Giordano with the National Pork Producers Council, his reaction to the Senate COVID assistance package, and look at negotiations now between the Senate and the House. We'll talk markets with Arlen Suderman with Stone X. And the latest on these packages of mystery seeds that are popping up around the country. We'll talk with Max Moncaster with the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture. What should you do if you get those uh, packages? And uh, what do we know about them as far as their origins and anything else about them? We'll get into all of that a little bit later on in today's program. But we're going to start it off with the... Uh, Administrator of the Farm Service Agency, kind of a weekly update with Richard Fordyce on how CFAP payments are going. Richard, thanks for joining us. So on the one hand, we're talking about the negotiations in Congress for more COVID assistance. Meanwhile, we want to stay up to date on the money that's already been approved and that you are distributing. Where are we now in those, uh, as far as those payments are concerned? I believe I saw a figure of $6.5 billion you've sent out now. That's correct, Mike, and, and it is good to visit with you. I guess we have kind of made this a weekly, a weekly opportunity. Um, Six point five billion as of Monday, the twenty seventh, um, in payments to four hundred and seventy three, a little over four hundred and seventy three thousand producers. All right, so I think a week ago it was six point two billion. So it has the pace then slowed more than you would have thought, or, or how do you assess where we're at with this? Well, I, you know, I think there may be a number of things that are related to that. And I know, I know we talked last week about competing priorities, you know, in our, in our service centers across the country. Um, you know, remember we had, a, we had a real spike at the beginning. Um, May 26th was the day that folks could begin signing up and, and saw real um, just a lot of activity for, you know, a month, I suppose, of folks applying and, you know, and dollars going to producers and then and then we start, started to see a little bit of a flattening um, and I think you know from our perspective and, and those workload um, uh, competitions there at a, at a local level uh, acreage reporting we talked about that last week how that you know that that competes with um, you know with CFAP applications we're just about to finish up um, you know getting those acreage reports for spring seeded crops finished up um, and, you know, we anticipate, you know, um, those applications starting to climb back again. And, and we also know our producers are busy as well, um, you know, in a lot of parts of the country still trying to do hay, finishing up, um, you know, getting the crop laid by, whether that's doing a final uh, herbicide application or some maybe some side dressing or some fertilizer applications that are happening. So a lot of, a lot of things happening on the farm. Um, and uh, and certainly a lot of things happening, you know, at those local service centers. So, I mean, we monitor it, Mike. We monitor it every day. Um, we have conversations with our state executive directors um, across the country to kind of get their feel about what's going on on the ground. And, 
And, you know, it is true that the, that the applications have kind of flattened, but we expect maybe a little bit of a spike. We also, as you know, introduced um, a couple of weeks ago or a little over a couple of weeks ago some additional crops, exclusively specialty crops, um, and we still are working through that NOFA process for maybe inclusion for, for new commodities and crops as well. I hesitate to ask you for a prediction on when we might get an announcement on more crops being eligible, but uh, do you see that coming anytime soon? It is going to be, yeah, I think it'll be soon, Mike. Um, you know, again, I learned uh, a few weeks ago not to get in the prediction business. Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, but yeah, I think, it's, I think it's coming pretty soon. Most of the work um, of analyzing the data that was submitted through the NOFA process, most of that work has been done. There's still... Still a little bit to be done, um, but uh, but I would anticipate something fairly soon. I guess I'm somewhat surprised, Richard, in that with the the concern over the um, COVID-19 issues and how the financial situation is right now, and the urgency to try to get more aid from Congress. And the pace seems slower than I would have thought for people getting the available CFAP assistance right now. I mean, uh, there's so much talk about we've got to have more, we've got to have more, but yet we haven't used what is available yet. Uh, I, I'm somewhat surprised by that. Right. And, I, you know, I think, um, you know, again, um, you, know, we, you know, we did estimates based on, you know, just a, a mountain of data that the Office of the Chief Economist had done along with working with some of our other sister agencies to determine what what this may be and you know remember um, the current CFAP program is for a specific period of time primarily either quarter one of 2020 or um, or that kind of January 15th to April 15th time frame and and what we what we experienced and what we saw as far as price declines or disruptions in the supply chain at, at that specific time and you know, given what given what um, what our estimates were, you know, we factored most of those most of those categories, and then, you know, once the once the application was complete and we had a um, you know we had a, a payment uh, rate um, for that specific producer, we factored that payment as well um, at eighty percent. So. Um, you know, so we have some options. Um, you know, I think we were being conservative. We wanted to make sure, you know, coming, coming after, you know, the, uh, you know, the PPP program, you know, that really ran through the money very quickly and Congress had to reauthorize additional funding. We wanted to make sure, you know, that anyone at any point in time during the sign-up period that wanted to participate that that the that the fact that funding was gone was not going to be an issue for this program and so um so you know we had those uh we had those considerations when we rolled the program out so we still have some space if you know if we if we think that you know most producers have you know have come in and have signed up we still know there's several more to come in lots more lots more folks still to come in um that you know we have some we have some options um again that factored payment that you know we still have another 20 percent um that we could pay um to producers that have signed up and maybe some other options as well so um and so i think really kind of the conversation that's happening from a congressional perspective right now is for a time period after that first quarter or after that january to april time frame 
um, which this this program specifically is addressing that specific time frame. All right, Richard, we appreciate your time each week, and if it works out for you, we'd love to have you back next week for another update. I'd love to be back on, Mike. It's always good to visit with you. Okay, take care, sir. Good to talk with you. Right. Richard Fordyce, Thanks, uh-huh. FSA Administrator, with an update on uh, the CFAP money that's gone out. Now it's $6.5 billion. Remember, they got $16 billion. And so even while we're talking about negotiations for more assistance, there's still money there that's already been approved that still hasn't gone out. We'll talk about that and more with Nick Giordano with the National Pork Producers Council. That's coming up next. What does he think of the uh, Senate version of an assistance package and a look ahead at the uh, negotiations between the House and Senate already off to somewhat of a rocky start. We'll get Nick Giordano's thoughts next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. We're joined now by Nick Giordano, Vice President and Counsel, Global Government Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council. Nick, good to talk with you again. What's your thoughts on the Senate COVID assistance package? Well, the process is underway. We've been eagerly waiting for a number of months now. As you know, the the House acted over two months ago. While that uh, provision was a Democratic bill, really, um, DOA in the Senate, we loved the uh, the ag provisions, the livestock provisions, um, and, and it brought support through agriculture, I think, for those provisions. Um, we uh, worked with uh, Senator Inhofe and a group of senators to, in fact, get the livestock provisions introduced, which would provide compensation um, to livestock producers who had to depopulate. Um, So, you know, most of this has gone on on hog farms, but it also would cover cattle and and poultry. And we're hoping wholesale to get those provisions uh, included in the final package that comes out of the Congress. Now, what was announced Monday did not have all the um, the provisions from the Inhofe bill or what was over um, on the House side and the HEROES legislation, but it's a start. Um, depopulation is included in one, as one of the factors that um, USDA can pay out. So previously, USDA's position has been, um, hey, we can't give you livestock producers indemnification unless your animals died of a disease. So that's a hurdle for us. Um, we got over that in, in Heroes in the Inhofe bill, and now in the, um, the, COVID, the, the COVID package, which um, House uh, Senate leadership rolled out on Monday, DPOP is in there, so that's an importance. But MPPC's position is we're gonna continue to work for something more prescriptive, this is an unprecedented emergency on the farm. 
We've had, according to the most recent USDA pigs report, over a million hogs disappear. Um, while some of those have been donated, the majority have been euthanized. And we've got approximately 2 million hogs backed up. And the prospects of getting them into the food chain are murky at best. So we really want something a little bit more prescriptive, but we're happy that Depop is included as one of the factors. We're going to work hard for a more, a more robust ag package, and we're not a one-note Johnny. Obviously, we're, we're working with the other ag groups to get uh, payments to producers. Um, we'd like to see some, some changes to some other things, but... Um, it's, it's a start, and I think it's going to take a little while here. Initially, Senator McConnell wanted to have something done by the end of this week. I, I think that's going to be pretty difficult. I think we're looking at something um, in August, and we're part of the discussion. We're pleased about that. So we just talked with FSA Administrator Richard Fordyce about CFAT payments. Uh, they they went from 6.2 billion a week ago to now they've sent out 6.5. To me, that pace seems slow, and they've got 16 billion to work with. They're still only at 6.5 billion. I was, I mentioned him. I'm surprised that uh, those payments haven't gone out faster. There hasn't been more demand, uh, you know, an urgency more like the PPP is. We've seen it go so quickly. Are you surprised? I mean, while we're talking about trying to get more assistance, that the assistance that is available, more of it hasn't gone out already. Well, we're disappointed because of all the restrictions. And I, and I think this underscores the fact that if there were less restrictions, um, more hot farmers and more rank and file ag producers would be eligible and would be making use of the program. So MPPC's position has been and continues to be that direct payments should not be encumbered by all these limitations. When you look at our sector, um, we're, we're not structured like grain or, or even cattle, for that matter. And we've been somewhat prejudiced by the limitations. Um, under the MFP trade retaliation program, only about 25% of the hogs in the country were covered, while the... Um, the CFAP payments are a little bit, the restrictions are a little bit loosened up. Um, in our judgment, not enough. So we're going to continue pushing for less restrictions, both in terms of what USDA is doing now vis-a-vis CARES, and then longer term in, in terms of what Congress is doing now with this new COVID package. We're talking with Nick Giordano with the National Pork Producers Council. So the Senate seems to uh, go more with give money to USDA and let them divvy it out. The House wants more oversight over USDA. Which approach are you more comfortable with? Well, we would like something more prescriptive. Um, you know, USDA has never, um, there's been indemnification for um, animals that um, have had disease issues but um, nothing in terms of um, like COVID. So we would we would prefer a more prescriptive um, ap- approach. And as I said, MPPC is going to continue. And and I think USDA probably I can't obviously I can't speak for them, 
but I think they probably would appreciate something a bit more prescriptive. At any rate, MPPC is going to continue to to push for more detail in this legislation. Again, we're appreciative that um, DPOP is included, but we'd like to see um, wholesale the Inhofe legislation um, adapted and and folded into the COVID package. You have told us before that, I mean, what's at stake here is the structure of the pork industry and you, you expect to lose producers, but you want to try to keep it as close to what it is now uh, as possible. So when you look at what's being proposed, and we don't know a final number yet, but do you feel that between the two, when they work out a final bill, it'll be enough to preserve, as we know it today, our the structure of our pork industry? Um, you know, that's a difficult question, Mike. I mean, probably not, but it depends on, you know, how much of a change is preserving the structure. I mean, look, we're, we're going to lose producers, small, medium, and large. Um, and, and that's what happened in 98. And this is a lot worse than 98. So for MPPC, our mission is to keep as many producers as possible, um, financially solvent to keep the bankers at bay um i you know i i think when you look economy wide here when you have these downturns um it you know it's gonna it's gonna breed across the economy consolidation and concentration and and that's just the reality and i think we're going to see you know a lot of consumer we we may see a lot of consumer debt issues where we we know that there are going to be a lot of small business issues and you know certainly hot farmers aren't going to be immune so uh, you know i i we're going to do our darndest to just get a lifeline to as many as possible um the number that um i is is been out there during this this whole COVID thing is five billion um steve meyer and dermot hayes did a, an analysis based on march 10th to april 10th um steve meyer updated that not long ago the five billion is a good number that is a gigantic number um i don't know that usda and i i don't know that usda is going to be able to and that congress is going to be able to provide that sort of funding we hope they do and the more that they're able to provide, the more producers we're going to be able to keep solvent and in the in the industry. All right, Nick, thank you for uh, the update and perspective. And uh, we'll talk again when we see what the, the final bill looks like uh, when the House and Senate work things out. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Mike. Nick Giordano, Vice President and Counsel, Global Government Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council. So interesting, uh, FSA Administrator Richard Fordyce talking about the slow pace of uh, those CFAT payments, saying that uh, he thinks it's because uh, producers, farmers are busy with a lot of other things, but yet Nick Giordano feels, from the pork industry's viewpoint anyway, that uh, the there are too many cumbersome restrictions making it difficult for producers to uh, access that money all right up next we're going to talk markets with arlen suderman with stone x stay with us you're listening to aoa 
Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Wheat futures trending higher on this Wednesday. A purchase of roughly 500,000 metric tons of Russian and Ukrainian wheat by Egypt's buying authority supporting the futures finding support after that was the biggest purchase by Egypt since 2018 at prices that were higher than many expected. The recovery of the U.S. ethanol industry following the onset of the coronavirus pandemic may have hit a temporary limit. Gasoline consumption has been nearly unchanged over the last four weeks since the resurgence of the COVID pandemic in mid-June. In corn futures, an hour into this Wednesday trade day, new crop December down three at 327. Soybeans, August contract down two and a quarter, 894 and a half. November, 885 and three quarters down two. Chicago wheat September, six and a quarter higher at 529 and three quarters. Kansas City wheat September up five and a half at 442 and a quarter. Minneapolis spring wheat September up three and a quarter, 509 and a half. December 523 and a quarter, asking up three and a half cents. Livestock at the Merck, cattle futures trending higher, lean hog futures trending lower on this Wednesday. Worries about China pulling back on purchases of U.S. pork said to be on the mind of traders amid climbing tensions between the two countries. August lean hogs down a dollar fifteen at fifty three oh five. Live cattle futures, August up 52 at 101.42, October up 62 at 105.62. Feeder cattle, August up 75 at 141.45, September up 60 at 141.90. The Dow up 54 points, S&P up 22, September crude oil up 35. You're listening to AOA, I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And we talk it over now with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for Stone X. Arlen, good to talk with you again. We just had... An interesting first half of the program, and we started off with Richard Fordyce, the administrator of the Farm Service Agency. And when I, I told him, I said, I, I'm surprised at a time when we're talking about getting more assistance for agriculture as Congress works out the differences between the House and Senate versions of their packages, that the money we already have, the $16 billion for CFAP, only $6.5 billion has gone out. Last week it was 6.2, so it only went up a little bit in a week. And I said I was surprised at the slow pace. He And Richard Fordyce thinks it's because farmers are busy with a lot of other things. But And then I talked with Nick Giordano with the National Pork Producers Council. He says from a pork industry's perspective that there are too many cumbersome restrictions on pork producers to access that money. And that's why it's uh, such a slow pace, at least from their perspective. So I, I thought it was interesting to... to two different viewpoints on that but all this coming with the backdrop of we need more assistance when we haven't sent out yet all that's available so far yeah what too too cumbersome a paperwork process from a government agency that just doesn't sound right (laughs) all right Um, how often does that happen right (laughs) yeah i haven't found one yet who didn't like paperwork and and of course on the other end you know 
uh, recipients uh, have so many hurdles to get through to get assistance, and, and that's been a long-term problem as, as long as government's been around probably. Um, but uh, you're exactly right. Uh, Congress continues, and the Paycheck Protection Program as well, I understand it's not empty either, but yet they're negotiating how much to add to that. So Congress just simply wants to show that it's doing something. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that the people who need the assistance are getting it, as, as you alluded to. Meanwhile, it's every day becomes more painfully obvious that we're going to be dealing with this uh, COVID situation for some time to come, and its impact on the economy, upon markets, is going to continue to be felt. Well, that's exactly right. And I'll go back to what I told our people the first week of February as I looked at coronavirus and I'd been watching it for about two months already as my Chinese employees started um, alerting me to it back in December. And I started paying attention to it and studying it, and particularly in January when it came over to the United States, studying its characteristics. And and I told them that uh, coronavirus you know, it's a serious disease, but what scares me most about it is the fear it creates. And uh, that fear can shut people down and shut down economies. I was looking at the numbers this morning, and the latest numbers on the CDC website this morning were as of Monday, and it showed about little 54,000 positive cases on Monday. That's down 20,000 cases from last week, what we were seeing on a daily basis. Now, that may or may not be a new trend. Um, we need more under our belt. The seven-day average is starting to turn lower, the rolling average. That's an encouraging sign. It's too soon to say that it's, that it's a new trend. Uh, it does suggest that we are currently plateauing at the very least. But the bottom line is there's still a lot of fear out there. And as long as there's fear out there, by the constant barrage of headlines that we're seeing on the worst part of it, I finally saw my first news article this week, over the weekend actually, that did a good job of focusing on both the scary aspects of coronavirus and the non-scary aspects of it, focusing on, yes, the numbers are rising, some of the problems in the ICU unit, units, uh, some of the health issues associated with it, but also on how hospitalization rates per 100,000 are trending lower and continuing to trend lower for virtually all age groups. The death rate is doing the same thing, that, the, that we're learning how to treat it, that doctors across the country are becoming much better at treating it, therefore reducing the number of people that need to go into hospitals and the number of people that need to go in ventilators and, and the people that ultimately die. So that's the real positive, and it was a very balanced article, but that's the first that I've seen since all, this all started. Pretty hard to find balanced and objective reporting on this. It really is. And, uh, you know, and for those who get it, the um, majority seem to be asymptomatic or very slight symptoms are not serious. But for those who get the more serious symptoms, it is not fun. It is not a fun disease to go through at all from what I've been told by people who have gone through it. Um, and so I don't want to belittle that. Um, but I do want to put some perspective and uh, so that we can respond accordingly. We've we face risks in this country since its founding, and our founding fathers uh, faced a great deal of risk when they pushed beyond the Appalachian Mountains. They knew that uh, many of them would not survive the trip um, because of sickness and peril that lay ahead. 
Um, and in fact, when our founding fathers signed the Declaration of Independence, they knew they were signing their death warrant. So risk is always being a part of it. Uh, I think we've become a culture that uh, is more afraid of risk today than any time that I've seen before, and uh, responds accordingly. But from an economy standpoint, that's what I mean. People are afraid. They don't conduct business in the same way. They don't purchase um, commodities or products in the same way. And so that's why I study it, is because it does affect consumerism. Yeah, for those waiting for a zero-risk environment, going to wait a long time, they forget that we did not have a zero-risk environment before all this started. So that would seem unrealistic to think we're going to all of a sudden have one sometime, anytime uh, after COVID-19. We're talking with Arlen Suderman with StoneX. All right, Arlen, let's look at the the production side of things. Uh, The crop ratings look pretty good, and we seem, except for some problem areas here or there, overall, looks like we're headed towards and I, I say this, you know, with all knowing that there we're not, we all know this, the crop's not in the bin. That old saying holds true every year, but it looks like we're on our way to a pretty big crop. It does, and uh, we're in the process of starting to survey, survey our customers on what they think the crops in their areas are going to yield or what the yield potential is at this time. Um, that's a snapshot as of the 1st of August. The crop is certainly more mature than it was a year ago at this time. We'll have the results of that on Monday afternoon, be releasing that. Right now, my yield model for corn is at 181.6. It jumped 2.2 bushels uh, just in the past week. And, uh, you know, that's several bushel above USDA's uh, trend yield. And so we may end up seeing 10 million metric ton of corn purchased from China. Um, But we just added that to our production as well. Not quite, Um, but we certainly are holding stocks above 2.5 billion if we do, uh, if we do see this increased yield. So that's why the market's not getting too excited about the Chinese business is we're simply producing enough to meet it and still have a surplus um, and on soybeans, my yield estimate uh, uh, went up as well, went up a half bushel this week uh, to 51.3. Uh, and again, USDA's trend yield is at 49.8. So what's that, a bushel and a half above trend? So again, that's supplying the extra bushels that China seems to be buying. Yeah, while certainly important these purchases China is making and hopefully will continue to make, I think it's become should become obvious that relying on China to buy our way to higher prices is not a good market strategy. It isn't, but I will say this. If you tell me that we're going to have ending stocks this next year, 2 billion bushels of corn and uh, 500 million bushels of soybeans, and you don't tell me how you're going to get there, one way is to have a short crop, and the other is to have strong demand where we're seeing weekly export inspections that are impressive numbers. Same thing, got their weekly reports of demand. That feels better to the market, if you will. And the price response is a little bit different. So if you give me a choice, I'd rather have the strong demand, even though the stocks may be burdensome or, or large. I'd still rather have the demand. It just simply feels better to the market. The funds are a little bit more willing uh, to invest their money there. Mm-hmm, certainly. and But it seems like we're in the old scenario, uh, that, that catch-22, 
lower prices, so you need the bushels uh, to you know to make it work financially. You just need more bushels at the lower price, but then the the more bushels leads to a lower price. Yeah, we're seeing in the livestock sector right now where low prices are buying demand, and uh, that's a factor with China now as well. Now China does have a significant problem, which we've been talking about in our webinars for last two years where they've been consuming about 30 million metric tons of corn more than they produce every year. And uh, um, by our calculations, based on our sources on on what's happening with the temporary reserve there, they were on pace to empty out that temporary reserve by the end of August if they continued to sell each week at the pace that they were. They put in some significant restrictions trying to... uh, slow speculation, but prices continue to go over $9 per bushel in southern parts of the country right now in the cash market. Um, But this has risen to the attention of the Chinese government. Last week, we saw President Xi Jinping tour a corn farm and some uh, equipment uh, companies within China and talk about uh, the need for reform. Uh, We saw the vice premier do the same thing this week. When you see that, that's an indication that this problem has risen to the top of the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP. And so we expect to see some type of policy reform come out soon uh, to address the problem. Hmm. Will it be significantly increased imports? Uh, will it be something to discourage your starch and ethanol industries You know, to reduce demand? Yeah. Probably going to have to be a combination of that and increasing right. production, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. We continue to watch China. Arlen, thanks a lot. Thank you. Arlen Sitterman with Stone X joining us here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, you've probably heard about them. Maybe you've even received one. Uh, A mysterious package of seeds, some say from China, and a lot of questions about their origin. And is this a hoax or is there something uh, very sinister behind it? Let's talk about it now with Max Moncaster. He is the Director of Public Policy for the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture. I know a lot of State Departments of Agriculture are saying if you get these, send them in to them, give them to them, let them uh, examine them and look at them and be sure not to be planting them or anything like that. Max, thanks for being with us. What is the latest on this? Yeah, I was glad, glad to be here, Mike. Um, what, you know, we're still trying to figure out, get to the bottom of what the origin of the seeds are and why they were sent to people unidentified. You know, it's uh, definitely a bit of a mystery. But we've got seeds in labs right now being tested for pests and trying to figure out what they are. It seems like a pretty wide variety. I mean, we've gotten reports of a lot of different types of species, and um, so it, it's, uh, it's definitely a little bit of a pandemonium out there, but we're trying to get to the bottom of what's going on. Have you traced the origin? Is it are they from China? The earlier reports were that uh, they were they were sent through China Post. But what's odd about it, uh, Mike, is they were actually not labeled as seeds. I mean, they were labeled as jewelry and other types of products. So um, 
that's a, a strange aspect of it. Most of them do, do seem like they're originating in China um, from, from some companies over there. But again, until we have a little more details on the testing, we're not going to really know the full story or the full picture. Do you have any idea of how many of these packages have turned up? I don't have overall numbers, but I can tell you that I mean, we've had states, probably at least 10 or 12 different states, uh, have reported receiving seeds. And we expect that number might grow as folks still you know, start to report out on more guidance comes out on where you can report. Um, but it's, it hasn't been localized or, or regionalized, too. I mean, we've got uh, some in Washington State, some in Utah, some in Virginia, and everywhere in between. So it does seem like a pretty odd mix uh, of folks, but we're still trying to figure out why certain people got them. And it wasn't just farmers and ranchers as well. That's something to, to take note. I mean, some folks who, you know, just were uh, regular you know, citizens uh, were also in receipt of these seeds. So it's definitely a mystery. Are they the same types of packages? I mean, as far as the amount, the types of seeds, or are they are they different? All of them have seemed to be, you know, from the, the reports that we've seen, they seem to be pretty diverse. Uh, the seeds look differently. They're different size packages, but all still, you know, relatively um, small, like about as big as your hand, I would say, uh, most of the photos we've seen. So they're not massive bags, and there's not a ton of seeds in there. I mean, the, the again, some of the photos I've seen have been anywhere from, 10 to maybe, you know, 30 or 40 seeds in there, uh, different sizes and shapes. But certainly it's important for folks not to not to plant them um, without knowing their origins or, or where the backstory is. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's still all over the map. I mean, there doesn't seem to be any real uniformity to what's been going on. Um, I know that, you know, in Utah and Louisiana, those are two states where they've done some testing uh, and the folks have actually been out to see what those seeds are, and they seem like, very different species as well. I think Chinese water lily was one and, you know, some other different different types. So there's, yeah, like I said, no, no, no uniformity that we can, we can tell of right now. Have to be very careful here because uh, something harmful or dangerous could be introduced into this country, right, if, if people have planted these seeds. Absolutely, absolutely. That's, I think, the biggest concern that we have in the agriculture industry is what the impacts could be on uh, native grasses and also crops and even livestock. You know, there are some diseases that can be transmitted uh, from seeds into livestock that folks have. So it's absolutely imperative that folks don't plant them. Uh, there's very clear guidance that we've been giving out and that the U.S. Department of Agriculture has been giving out as well, that if you have these seeds, it's important to save them. You know, we need to be able to understand and trace and collect these, uh, these seeds and understand where they came from. Even the original mailing information is also really, really important. So we're asking folks not to throw them out, but to, to actually save them and report them to either the State Department of Agriculture or to USDA's um, Plant Health and, and Inspection Service, APHIS, um, which uh, there's different folks all around the states that have those capabilities. So definitely not important not to plant them and to save them and report them to the uh, appropriate authorities. They keep popping up, right? I mean, it seems like almost every day we hear about a, another uh, uh, case, maybe in another state where these have been received. That, yeah, and that's the, that's the most odd thing. It doesn't. We're trying to figure out if it's a coordinated uh, send. Um, one one idea that USDA has uh, suggested is that it might be what's called a brushing scam, basically an online scam where uh, products get delivered to somebody's house, and then the merchant that sent those actually writes false reviews about the product. Um, online to kind of boost sales. So that's the, the hope is that, you know, it, it's, uh, it's some sort of brushing scam and not something more serious, um, like, a, you know, some sort of uh, agricultural event that could be used to, to spark uh, insecurity or food insecurity. Um, but 
thus far we don't have any evidence that it's it's something more nefarious than uh, than just kind of an online marketing scam. Yeah, there's all kinds of speculation. It could be a number of things, but you you have to err on the side of caution. Absolutely, absolutely, you have to err on the side of caution. And um, luckily, I know you know USDA is currently working with the National Plant Board to determine a process for how to collect these seeds, how to make sure we're testing all the samples, and, and doing some investigations too. And you know, it's not just USDA. Uh, the Department of Homeland Security is involved as well because when you have packages that are mislabeled and seeds being imported into the country that aren't labeled appropriately, you know that that's fraud. And um, you know we've got a very tight regimen in this country about how to import seeds and what the process needs to go through. So you can't just label something as uh, as jewelry and then have something else inside the package. So there's certainly going to be uh, some repercussions here, but we're trying to you know let our let our uh, investigative authorities do their work and make sure they can figure out what's going on before we speculate too much. Um, but that uh, that work is definitely ongoing and, and underway. We hope to have some results that we can share uh, really soon. All right. So, yeah, a lot of questions uh, at this point, but also a lot of red flags, too, so a lot of things to check out. Max, thanks a lot for the update, and when we know more, we'll uh, be back in touch. That sounds great, Mike. Happy to provide more. And um, like I said, I just want to remind folks that if you do receive any of these packages, it's really important to save them and report them to either your State Department of Agriculture or to USDA's uh, Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service. Very good. Thanks a lot, Max. Take care. Take care. Thanks, Mike. Max Moncaster, Director of Public Policy for the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture. All right, that wraps it up for today. Interesting uh, interesting show with lots of different comments and views on some very important topics and issues. We'll do it all again tomorrow. Hope you'll be right here with us on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.